0: Hey, my name is Akash Dakar, and this is Sound Business. This is the podcast where we dive into the mindsets and methods of some of the top musicians, sound designers, or audio creators in the world. We're gonna interview everyone from plugin makers, performing musicians, video game composers, and everything in between and learn how they run a successful business and how they're making a killer living in the worlds of music and sound. My hope with this podcast is that you can be exposed to the many myriad different ways there are to make a killer living in the worlds of music and sound and help you realize that there's no one right way to get to the top. And with that, let's get into the episode. My guest today is Mason Lieberman. Mason is a composer for games, TV, film, and anime, and has worked on a huge variety of projects such as Ruby, Payblade, Gundam, Apex Legends, PlayerUnknown's Battlegrounds, and so much more. In this episode, we talk about how Mason grew such a hugely successful career in a short period of time, how he learned to write in an endless amount of musical styles, how he networks with people from all over the world very easily, and so much more. So, without further ado, let's get into the interview with Mason Lieberman. All right. So, one thing about your career is that it's basically impossible to describe in one sentence as a composer. It's ludicrous. You have anime, you have video games, you have live performances, you were recommended your moving company by Jamie Foxx. Like, it's absolutely insane. The first question I have for you that's very, very broad is, do you ever feel like you know what you're doing? Or does it feel like you're like, I don't know what I'm doing? Because I hear a lot of composers feel that way. I love that question. You've done so much. Why? (laughs) Stop. (laughs) Uh,
1: Yeah. You know, I would joke and say that my uh, career has been a clear reflection of my ADHD. My inability to focus has resulted in unintentionally focusing or hyper-focusing on a bunch of completely unrelated subjects. But no, I would say that honestly, it's always just come down to I'm multi-passionate about a lot of very different things that are loosely connected. I've always been pretty flexible about just following my career wherever it happened to be taking me. And whatever sort of work I was getting, I was happy to pursue it and see what would happen. And I've been really lucky so far, you know, I've gotten to do a lot of work overseas in Japan and China and even South Korea. Obviously, stuff that I've done over here, I've got to work in anime and video games. I've been a college professor. I've been a public lecturer. I've worked in music business consultation. I've sold cars. I've done all kinds of things.
0: Yeah, so I'm wondering then because there is this kind of fear with composers is they start to think oh i have all these interests i'm screwed right like oh i have to be just this one thing so what do you say to that so this entire industry if we really had to boil
1: down any kind of career any profession you would probably say that all of it's really about trust right and reputation is just Trust multiplied by distance or whatever you want to call it. It's trust from people who don't even know you. Whenever you're on a team, no matter what you're doing, no matter if you're the intern grabbing coffee or you're the project director in charge of like millions or billions of dollars, if you're on a team and you're doing a good job, you are building trust with the people you work with and you are slowly building a reputation with the ones who you don't and it doesn't matter what you're doing. So from my perspective, I've always believed, well, any work is potentially a good opportunity to show that I'm not a total piece of shit. It doesn't matter if I'm a cello soloist on something, if I'm singing on it, if I'm composing on it, if I'm supervising on it, if I'm audio implementing, whatever it is, there's an opportunity to do some good, improve the project, And prove that I will not be the weak link in the soundtrack of Star Wars. And prove that I am not going to ruin it for the next generation of Jedi Knights. And so, as you do work, as you continue to get opportunities, find them, create them for yourself, every single time that you do a good job, it doesn't really matter if you ask me what specifically you did. Because people are just going to go, oh, well... I know games that Akash was on. Those games were great. Maybe I don't know the details of exactly what he did, but clearly he contributed to making it the thing that I like. And over time, you build a reputation. And as you build a reputation, more people come to you for gigs, more people give you opportunities, and it gives you more opportunities to just double down and double down. And that's how you tend to see people go from having never done a specific thing... To, wow, for some reason, this dude spent like 20 years doing sci-fi sound design or whatever example you want to have.
0: Yeah, and there's something you hit on just now of like 20 years doing sci-fi sound design or its reputation is just trust over time. How long has this taken you to get to this point where you have this positive reputation? Well, I'm 29. And for some people, they're going to probably look at
1: my resume and then my age and they might be like, wow, he is really young. For some of the things that he has gotten to do. And what I will say is. Age is just kind of your perspective to a certain degree. It's mostly about the amount of time you've been working. And in my case. I graduated high school at 16. I started working immediately. I really have a resume that I would say. Pretty much reflects someone. Who's been really lucky. Over the course of a 13 to 15 year career. I'm a little younger than that. But. That's because I was working when I was young. I worked on the Smash Bros. soundtrack as a cello player when I was 20 years old. Or it came out when I was 20. I might have been 19 at the time. I was working on the Ruby soundtrack and stuff like that by the time I was 21. Like, you know, a lot of things that I've done began really young. And a lot of that's just pure luck. A lot of it was hard work. Most of it, I would say, I really owe to the community that built me up and gave me opportunities when I was growing up because, you know, I started off as a cello player. You don't get to start off as a cello player unless your parents support your musical journey because, like, spoiler alert, I started playing cello when I was five years old. What five-year-old has a cello in their closet that fits them? What parent does, for that matter? Like, someone had to notice that I wanted to do this and then put together a path forward for me to do it. It's not like finding your grandpa's guitar in your closet and just deciding to watch YouTube. You know, I started playing cello before YouTube existed.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and there's this interesting thing with luck where it can be a huge determiner of our career. Absolutely, 100%. And it's all these little things like, you know, maybe you started cello at five or you got to go to music school or whatever it may be. But there's also an aspect where you need to kind of create some. You have to go to the right places. You have to talk to the right people. So how do you go about creating that? So something that I have generally
1: believed, and it's not something I like, but it is something that I often think is true, is that you're almost always hired because people think you've already done the thing that they're hiring you to do. That's not always true, and sometimes it's because they misunderstand what you've done, sometimes it's because they don't understand your industry and they think an equivalent thing that you've done is the same as what they're asking you to do. And the expansion that I would say on this is the only people who will hire you for a first-time opportunity intentionally are usually people who are so stable, so secure, so completely unfireable that they can choose to bring someone in who might screw things up and it won't mean their head because they're the top of the chain or something like that. Otherwise, if you're being hired by someone who is replaceable, which is most of us, I would say, then they need to be covering their ass when they hire you, and they need to be sure that you're not about to turn around and do such a bad job that you get them fired. Which means that, by and large, if other people mostly aren't going to give you your first opportunity, you need to make it for yourself. And what I mean by that is, if you're a musician, you need to be releasing your own music you need to be showing that you are capable of doing this thing that you want other people to hire you for. If you're a sound designer, I don't just want to see, oh, here's a folder of cool sounds I've made. I want to see like broken down, like show me your wise session, get dirty in there. Like here's my Animal Crossing voice implementation system, except every single animal is like speaking in German or whatever it is. I don't know. Like do the thing that's weird and uniquely you. I want to see why you are able to do this exact particular thing. And to be fair, I'm more of a musician at the end of the day. So I always, I'm probably just going to speak in musical terms for the rest of this particular uh, podcast, but it's really important because this is its own way of building your own reputation. You're not just releasing your music into a void, even if sometimes it kind of feels like you are understand that there is a long tail to your career and something that maybe didn't get a lot of attention when you released it, you might discover gets a lot of attention like five, 10 years later after you've done something else that was a big deal to people and causes them to want to look up your history. You never know how that's going to happen.
0: Yeah, it can happen over the course of like a decade too.
1: It can take a very long time and that's a big part of networking. Obviously networking is just as I'm sure that you've all learned from this podcast a million times, it's just making friends. That's really what it is. It's going out, putting yourself out there, being yourself and finding the people who connect with that and the people who you connect with and taking a real human interest in their lives. Networking is something that also operates as an exponential with time and with opportunity. Every single time you go out, you have an opportunity to meet someone. Every person who you meet. Over time. Might have work for you. Or may have the opportunity to introduce you to someone else. Who might have work for you. And that person has the same time flow. And so. It's the exact same thing as like. Compound interest and like. Saving money and investing over time. If you start young. You're ahead early. And it has massive like. spin-off effects over the course of your career. I think that. For me, a lot of what I've gotten to do has come down to my network, the people who I've built relationships with, the people who I care about, because I just started meeting them really young. My first professional convention was going to ASCAP Expo when I was 18 years old, and like I remember meeting Gerard Marino there, and I met Austin Wintery there. I technically met Austin not at ASCAP Expo. I met him while I was in LA at an unrelated thing at USC. But like, the point is a lot of the people who I met for the first time, I met young. I met Bear McCreary that weekend. A lot of these things started very young and you keep reinforcing them with time. You keep meeting people. You keep seeing them. By and large, most of those people who I met probably did not remember me the next time I met them, but I remembered them. I kept reinforcing it. I kept making connections. You never know where work is going to come from or how it's going to support each other. One of the kind of funny things that I think about is the fact that when I met Austin, for example, and I met him right after Journey had come out, he was a huge deal already. And I was, you know, a college student who was mediocre at cello. Uh, But like, I figured I was like, well, you know, my dream is video game music. Maybe Austin will hire me someday. Maybe I'll get to work for him. That would be cool. I'm not going to try and push it. I'm not going to, like, ask him to send me work or anything. But, you know, we'll stay friends. We'll talk occasionally. I think I once tagged him in, like, a review of the amazing Spider-Man I wrote. Random shit. And literally, like, eight years later, we had our first professional interaction because I hired him on a soundtrack. (laughs) Like, you can't predict how these things will work out. But, like, that's networking it's just like you know you build the relationships over time you take a human interest in people i never try to meet people with the intention of getting work from them i just try to make some friends and have some fun you know we're not rocket scientists
0: Mm -hmm. and yeah can you talk to the mechanics of it because i think a lot of people get in their head of how like complex big air quotes it can be it's a lot simpler than i think people necessarily think it is
1: here's how i look at it When you're trying to become an independent audio artist or a freelancer, whatever you want to call it, you're starting up a business. That is objectively what you are doing. There is a certain amount of startup capital involved in that as far as putting together your studio, getting whatever equipment you need, things that you're probably going to need to save up or get money from family or investment or whatever you call it. Uh, You're going to need to in some way work to get things rolling. And to me, I would argue the most important part of that investment capital is you need to physically get yourself out there. You need to be saving for plane tickets to attend live events. You need to be saving for tickets to networking conferences like Game Developers Conference or Game SoundCon Con or things like that. You know, Game SoundCon Con is coming up in one month, two months, three months. You can just cut in whichever one you want. <laughs> Game SoundCon is coming up. Attend it. Like, go to things like that. Because that is where you start meeting people. You can network online. It is a core part of what everyone does. We are inherently, like, people of, like, you know, both the virtual and physical states at this point. We deal with both. But there is nothing that totally replicates the experience of meeting a person face-to-face and just hanging out in a room, talking about whether or not your Ganondorf would dumpster them and mine would, which is why that's what I lead with. (laughs) And to be clear, you know, it sounds like a joke, but it's actually true. Like my signature networking is just, I go to like some major event and I just start talking about anime and smash bros. And like, that's how I find my people. Like if you look at me and you see that and you're like, this guy's not taking this seriously. He does not care about being a professional one. Yeah. You're kind of right. Partially. And two, clearly we do not have the type of like energy that would make us good work partners. And that's okay. I can respect you from a distance without needing for you to be my next paycheck. Mm -hmm. But the people who hear that and they're like, nah, man, my puff gonna take you down. I'm like, okay, (laughs) you're cocky and wrong, but I like it. Let's see where it goes. (laughs) The first assistant that I ever hired, I always used to joke that I hired him because he was the best at speedrunning Sonic Adventure 2, and I needed someone like that on my team. <laughs> but it's like, you know, you you hire friends, you work with friends, you work with colleagues, you work with people you respect, and I don't know anyone better at speedrunning hero mode than him. So, there you go. If you want to be my assistant in 2023, get real good at the uh, upcoming Sonic game. I'll be watching.
0: The open world Sonic game.
1: The open world Sonic (laughs) game that we're all terrified
0: is going to be bad. Oh, I know it's going to be bad. I'm going to buy six million copies. I'm going to buy a copy for everyone on the planet. I'm going to buy, I'm going to make sure it sells sells the Bible. I just, with the exception of
1: Sonic Mania, obvious exception, we basically haven't had like a good, we haven't had a good 3D Sonic game since the abysmal Sonic Heroes which we all just collectively decided was good anyway, even though it was a terrible game. Don't listen. go back and replay that game. It will ruin your childhood. Just trust me when I say, yeah, the game's perfect, and you should not watch anyone else play it.
0: It shall remain perfect in your memory forever. Let, let it
1: remain. What I'm made of is a certified banger. <laughs> just, just listen to the soundtrack. Just listen to June Setaway and Johnny Gioeli as they just, like, crush it for that soundtrack. <laughs>
0: Literally, what we're doing now is a perfect microcosm of how networking can...
1: Yeah, (laughs) like,
0: like, it's really that simple. Like, I think people do really overcomplicate it.
1: I mean, the way that you and I virtually met, I guess, (laughs) is like the best example of networking that I can think of. This is like Twitter networking done right. Yes. So I'm gonna lay the groundwork and then you tell the story because... It's excellent. It's insane. (laughs) Akash and I, I don't know that we've ever actually met. No, we haven't. We've been at probably the same events at the same time. Yes. But we both end up tending to be busy. We tend not to get to actually see each other. And we talked online before about the idea of literally doing this. Yes. But we just never made the scheduling work. And then one day a magician emails me. (laughs) Literally a magician
0: emails you One day a magician emails me (laughs) One day a magician emails you
1: (laughs) Yeah, there's the podcast title One day a magician emails me And so I get an email from this like random corporate magician Who's clearly looking for like the 10 cent HR person And has just wildly gotten the email wrong Like he's ended up with the game composer And I'm like, but he's a good magician, right? And he's offering free demos over oh, Zoom? Okay, I'm in. I'm curious. <laughs> and I post about this on Twitter, just thinking, like, oh, wow, this poor, poor soul, he's clearly hoping to get his work and he's trying to do his version of networking. And instead, he ended up with my sardonic ass. <laughs> and so I post this and I'm like, so I should probably do this, like, demo, right, guys? And the, f- one of the first responses...
0: <laughs> One of the first responses me, me basically saying, Mason, I've never asked you for anything in my life. Please, for the love of God, do this. And of course, if Akash asks you <laughs> oh, of
1: course, to book a demo <laughs> with a Canadian magician for the lulls, you know, for the memes, you, you gotta do it. This man's a legend. <laughs> so of course, I did what any responsible friend would do. I booked the magician for a live demonstration and I'm getting married fairly soon. So I was like, all right, even if it doesn't work out for Tencent, it could work out for me. Like I might still hire this guy. It could still be good for his time. And I decide to pull in a couple of people, Akash being one of them, yes. Adriana, a singer friend of mine being another people who had expressed glee. We would say <laughs> at the idea of a magician demo. And me and like three audio people basically who had never met each other showed up this live demonstration for this magician who I want to be clear absolutely blew our minds. Like, my God.
0: Amazing. Truly incredible.
1: Like, I don't know what how he does what he does, but it was wild. It was legitimately wild.
0: A genius. A genius magician. Anyways, now we're friends. So (laughs) Yep. And now we're friends. Literally a magician. Magic brought us together. Actually, you want to know what's
1: funny? You're the person who I think had this, so I've been on the other side. Did you once have a Super Smash Bros. bet with Ryan Ike? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes so I was supposed to coach Ryan Ike on Smash
0: Bros. <laughs> you were. So that he wouldn't have to play Kingdom Hearts 3. That was the rule, yes. <laughs> <laughs> who won on that? He won sadly, but... but... Yes, He's Midwestern, so he says yes to everything. So he said, well, for your birthday, I'll play Kingdom Hearts 3. So he's locked in anyway. So I wow. win regardless. My hard work. Completely hard wasted. Work. Yes, all of your coaching. <laughs> I didn't even actually get to coach him. We no, just talked at about all. it
1: one time on Twitter. And then we were like, yeah, neither of us have the time to actually do this.
0: No, of course not. Of course not.
1: But it's about knowing that he won because of my strong encouragement.
0: Yes, he won by one life. It was it was down to the wire because of your strong, powerful encouragement. But that is literally how friends are made in this industry. Like, we just summarize everything and no one will believe us because they're like, no, it has to be more cop. No, it's really that stupid. Yeah, no. It's really that Akash simple. has never seen my business card. Nope.
1: I've never sent him my demo reel. He's never sent me his. I still don't have one. I've
0: never had one.
1: Do you even make sound? <laughs> how do I know that you make sound if you don't yeah, right. send if me don't your have demo, demo reel completely unsolicited in the afternoon? <laughs> oh, God. Like the 400 other people who do that every right. day. Right, oh, same. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how people find my email address sometimes. <laughs> it's really, like, clearly there's a service that people can pay for that will just, like, give them these, like, corporate emails. But, like, I get some really random ones. And I'm like... Oh. How did you do this like Truly yeah i'm delicious. who you're looking for how do you know that
0: <laughs> but there is that kind of like mindset around okay i gotta blast my stuff out to everyone humanly possible so i can stand out but sometimes it just comes down to we're friends i trust you come on board it really can be that simple objectively and i can speak to this literally
1: as a fact because i can think of examples where it's happened I've been invited to games where I know that no one had ever heard any of my sound before, any of my music before, because they invited me to do a thing. I thought, oh, well, I'll send them a reel to find out what kind of thing they're thinking of with a couple of options. And they did not listen to it. And they were like, oh, yeah, all of it was great. Whatever you think fits best. And I'm like, okay, I'll just take the paycheck. I get it. you, You want me to do my thing? That's cool. I appreciate the trust.
0: <laughs> but getting to that point, there are spans where we're not working. Right. There every musician, sound designer deals with that.
1: Well, not me. I have never had. A, <laughs> I don't know what you're talking. That sounds like a very personal problem you shouldn't share with the internet. I've never had a gap of work oh, of in course. my career. I've always been fully employed at a minimum of seven figures. But of you know course. <laughs> Sure, whatever you're describing, that sounds <laughs> difficult and personal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, we uh we literally all have uh work gaps, especially at the start, especially when you're beginning up. Because like, think of it like this. At minimum, let's assume the literal best case scenario that's physically possible, wherein the first gig that you do is a massive success. This never happens. But I'm giving you an example to make the point. And I'm pointing at some careers that have kind of reflected this type of thing. And I'm going to provide the quick asterisk of it. When I say big success in this case, I'm not actually pointing at the idea of, you know, oh, these people weren't working before this thing happened. I'm just trying to point of the difference between their career before and after it and to point out that timeline. If the first game that you work on is a massive success, That still probably means that you're going to spend several years working on that title, wherein no one knows who you are. No one's thinking of you for anything. The game comes out. Congratulations. You had your first big thing. Maybe people will start hiring you for it. They start thinking of you. It's still going to be another several years after that, that those new titles that you got start coming out, at which point you will be setting a career and a trajectory that people will start to think of you As more than a one hit wonder. So, literally, at best, like, you know, the world's fastest possible career probably takes upwards of five, six years just for people to even realize you have a career, just at start, just for that. So, as an example of how this timeline kind of works out, amazing independent composer T Lopes, everyone knows him, everyone loves him, Sonic Mania. And he was doing stuff for years before he was working on Sonic. He had a YouTube channel. He was a successful independent composer in his own right. Sonic Mania, however, definitely catapulted his public image quite a fair bit. And if you look at the quality of gigs he's been doing recently, absolutely killing it. You know, within like a three month span, he announced that he was doing a Metal Slug game and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and like, he was working on Streets of Rage and like all of these really cool things. Most of those happened. I'm sure he was working on them for a while, but most of them are coming out now like five years after Sonic Mania came out because that's just what this timeline looks like. Obviously, he did other big things prior to that point. Worked on Sonic Team Racing. He worked on a couple of projects with Sega and various capacities, but... I think that if you had him on here, he would probably even say that Sonic came and it was a big moment. And then, you know, you kind of level off the mountain a little bit and you start climbing the next peaks, which are going to be higher because of what you just did, because of what you've prepared yourself for. But that it takes time, even when you have a project like that, that is so undeniably gangbusters, where your name is so directly attached to something that was good. Like it wasn't just that the game was popular. His music was popular. His music was a huge part of what made that game so good. And it still took time. Even if you have Sonic in your corner, it still takes time. And so (laughs) when people are like, hey, if you want to do this, this is like a 10 year minimum commitment to really see any kind of returns likely. Like that's the minimum that you should expect that's what they're talking about. And that is what we call like a best case scenario. Like most independent creators probably aren't going to be working on Sonic the Hedgehog. Like that's probably not going to be the first thing that brings you to people's attention.
0: Yeah. It's this uh, very interesting thing where I see people like, okay, I've been doing sound design for one year. Why hasn't Riot hired me as their lead sound designer? Right. I see this all the time. And I'm glad you put that into such perfect kind of summary because I'm now on year like 11 and I just started to feel like, oh, maybe I kind of have a career. You're 11. (laughs) Well, to be fair, and I'm not here to throw shade at
1: your career and your trajectory, but like we all have like 100 points to spec into, right? And most audio professionals put like three points into charisma, like 87 (laughs) points into like sound design shops, And like, ten points into Uber or something like that. And with you, it's like, oh, there's like twenty points of like really good sound design, and like twenty points of like really good charisma, and like sixty points of hair products. And so, oh, thank you. Oh, you're so. Everyone notices. (laughs) You are widely known as the man with the best hair in all of game audio.
0: Oh. The, the kindest thing I could have ever heard.
1: <laughs> but no, actually, you're an amazing sound designer and an amazing person.
0: Oh, you're too sweet. You have
1: far more than 100 points. It's very unfair.
0: Uh, you're, no, you, you sweet pumpkin <laughs> To prevent this from us just loving on each other Which is terrible and should never be done Yeah, no, don't support each other Be like the film and TV industry Stab each other in the back I was literally just, but it's like I paid you to do that segue You did pay me to do that The check should be in the mail <laughs> It's in the mail, it's in the mail, it's on Your the way Your assistant
1: will connect with my assistant we'll, Yes, we'll tra- of course <laughs> we'll ha- They'll handle the transfer off screen In their own podcast <laughs>
0: But there is such a difference between film, TV, anime, video games. Can you, like, highlight all of those? It doesn't have to be, you know, throwing shade or anything like that. But every time I talk to people, they're like, it's so different here. Some of the major differences
1: between them as mediums. One, pay. Let's get it out of the way. Certain mediums are paid higher. Some are paid lower. And they have different pay paradigms of, like, where you really earn your money, what you're getting paid for, things like that. In games, often you're getting paid per minute, you're creating the assets. There often isn't a tail on, like, the royalty side of things. Maybe there is for the soundtrack sales, if you're lucky enough to own a soundtrack that happens to do well. But by and large, there aren't really sync opportunities. TV, oftentimes, the primary value is the sync opportunities. I'm realizing that the way that my mic is set up, you may have just heard me get invited to a League of Legends game.
0: No, not at all. All right. We can leave that (laughs) in. Yep. (laughs) Because that's
1: real. That's game dev, baby. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, because these are different industries with different ages, different personalities, there's different cultures involved in them. And sometimes, you know... One of them can be a little nicer than the other. (laughs) I don't know many people in the game audio side of things who would dispute the idea that even with the problems game audio has, and every single industry, every culture has problems. Objectively, they all do. I don't know anyone who would say that film and TV are more pleasant places (laughs) to work than games.
0: No, (laughs) not a soul. I
1: love working on anime. You know, I... I love releasing work on anime. I don't know how I always feel about working on anime. Like, sometimes it can be crunchy. It certainly pays less than, like, anything else that I do. Because, again, the rate of pay is kind of pegged to the industry a lot of times. And it's just much lower over there for a variety of reasons. And not just for audio. This is a problem for animators, for the studios, for everyone. Anime is just not the most expensively produced product compared to, say a film or TV show or even animation in the West and animation in the West already has a reputation for being like less, uh, well-paid than say film and TV do for live action and video games can themselves also be higher paid than some of the other, uh, things that we might get to do.
0: Yeah. And it's, uh, like, I've noticed that some people even think, Oh, okay. Because maybe they're a film person or a TV person because I'm a film and TV person. Oh no can I ever be trusted in the game industry? Or vice versa, like, oh, I do games. Could I ever be trusted in film or TV? Could I ever be known? You could be, but this is actually a conversation that I once had with Austin Wintory, because
1: he is someone who loves film and TV in his bones. Like, he is a phenomenally successful game composer. He's very passionate about video game composition. I don't think anyone who's ever met him has made it more than 10 minutes into a conversation without talking about Jerry Goldsmith. And... (laughs) He is just as passionate about film and TV as he is about games. And he's been working in film and TV, I think, actually longer than he's been working in games, even though he is certainly more well-known in the games industry. And I think he would be the first person to tell you, success in games does not immediately translate to success in film and TV. And he has been successful in film and TV. He's done some great, great projects. He's pitched on a lot of amazing things but like the popularity and size of the game projects he's working on dwarf the size of the film and TV ones that he gets opportunities at just cuz his career has developed more efficiently in that direction especially film and TV they don't tend to respect the games as much they don't understand it games people usually understand film and TV cuz many of us came from film and TV before we found the games industry especially an older generation of audio when you know the entire industry was still burgeoning to the point where it could support its own audio uh, faction of sorts but success in one does not translate to the other and you have to build your career in all of those fronts more or less simultaneously
0: Mm -hmm. and while you've done that has it ever felt like an extreme grind or like because i'm sure you've had insane hours right because like tv and all that sort of stuff can really be demanding games too all of it can be super demanding how do you deal with that Hundreds of unpaid interns who ghostwrite all of my work and will never be
1: credited. I've kidnapped their younger siblings.
0: Ah, the Zimmer protocol. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Repeat the question. Yep, totally. So when it comes to working in all these different spheres, like anime, TV, film, games, there are absolutely times where I'm sure all the deadlines have come up at once, right? Like, I'm sure you've hit, like, it's like, oh, right. I think it was for Beyblade. They're like, write this in 12 hours and you actually only had five, right? So how do you deal with that? You actually nailed that exact one. Yeah, that's like the archetypal
1: example that I use, where the first cue that I actually got to ride on Beyblade, they gave me 12 hours to turn it around, but I only actually had five because I had a flight in like seven hours. And so I just had to like crank this like minute and a half orchestra, choir, full synthesizer, rock band, like everything in the kitchen sink cue in five hours I sent it over to my composer as I was heading to the airport and I was like, ah, oh, like, deal with some of the synth orchestration. Good God, ah! Jumped on the plane. No connection. My computer was not strong enough. Like, I didn't have a laptop that could run my session. So I couldn't even work on it on the plane. During that time, he submitted the queue, We landed. It worked out. They liked the queue, It got approved. And I had three more cues due in the next 12 hours.
0: Oh my god. <laughs> at
1: which point I was at like, oh, I did not bring my studio home with me because I did not think this was a thing. I thought it was like a one-off cue I was getting. Right. So, I literally had to land. I called my former college professor, Dr. Stephen Lias at Stephen F Austin State University in East Texas. And I was like, "Uh, Steve, I need to borrow a studio. Can I uh use your office? This is like Christmas break. Like no one's oh at god. this college." And he's like, You're doing what? Yes, of course, 100%. I support you. Head straight over. I'll have the keys. I'll let you in. So on like December 23rd or whatever this is, like a day or two before Christmas, I drove from Dallas, Texas to Nacogdoches, East Texas. I rented a car, drove straight down, jumped into a studio on a college campus and proceeded to write the next three cues while, like, remotely supervising two other ones that I was working with, with uh, Lance Stravino, my co-composer. And, like, Jesus Christ, <laughs> it was just uh, an absolute uh, chaotic experience. And after that, you know, I finally went home, like, the end of the day at, like, 10 or 11 p.m. after landing in Texas at, like, 7 a.m. or something. Oh, my
0: God.
1: <laughs> and, like... Wow. The rest of my Christmas break, I was able to do from home, but I was still working on cues. I just wasn't working on cues that required heavy VST stuff. Mm -hmm. Everything I was doing was cello based or it was keys or it was something that like I would write the cue and then I would send it to the other composer for orchestration or whatever. Like we developed a system and flow or I was everything was recording. I was doing a lot of guitar stuff, a lot of bass stuff, things that like didn't require a strong computer just certain equipment. And I had a guitar in Texas. I had a bass in Texas. I could still record those things. I went to a guitar center and bought a mic so that I could record my cello. I I'm remembering some of this now as we do it. And I think it's giving me uh, traumatic flash. Just, yeah, just flashbacks. <laughs> just like black and white and like blood yeah. red. <laughs> but like, sometimes that's just how it is when you're starting off. Like, You know, we spend years often without real opportunities or without anything that could, quote, expand our reputation like that. And so when you finally get that opportunity, that first thing to do it, of course, you're going to be very motivated to want to kick its ass. Not just because, like, you need money to live, because this wasn't even a well-paying gig. It was anime. But because it was really important to, like, we cared. We wanted to do this job justice. We wanted to nail it. And I think we did. I think objectively, we did a great job.
0: Yeah, it's, it's so interesting that that is the start of many people's careers. Is that like a big, oh, shit, here's everything at once. Inevitably,
1: that, that's how it always happens. Like, always. you have no work. You wish something would happen. You have no work. You're desperate for something to happen. You have no work. You started <laughs> at a restaurant or something. Oh, congratulations. Yeah. Your next job is 36 hours. You better quit.
0: Yeah, Every time. Every damn time.
1: (laughs) It always is like that. Like whenever you think that you have time to take on things and you're like, I'm going to start doing that thing. I'm going to finally start gardening. Okay. yes. I've spent $200 on seeds and trees and equipment. I'm going to finally get into this. It's going to be really fantastic. I'm going to have homemade fresh guava. What's that? I have a job (laughs) that's going to keep me indoors for the next four weeks at 19 hours a day. Well, there goes my money.
0: <laughs> yes, you got it, bud. <laughs> I guess I have to earn back what I paid for this. Like, <laughs> every time. Every time. Every goddamn time. Literally every time. And now, kind of looking like forward, so I stop giving you those traumatic flashbacks, um, is there anything you're focused on learning right now? Is it, it could be musical styles, it could be non-music, maybe it is gardening, and soon someone's going to call you to pull you away from it, but are you learning anything right now?
1: I do not have a green thumb. My fiance, Zoe, who I marry in one month, two months, three months. (laughs) Um, My fiance, Zoe Marshall, who I love very deeply. We're getting married shortly. And so I've been working on that as far as like musical things that I'm trying to learn. I I don't know. I know everything. So yeah, you know, (laughs) the journey's over. Learning stops (laughs) by the time you hit 29, then you know everything. And it's great
0: that's what everyone says yeah exactly like what are you talking about
1: clearly i know everything or else you wouldn't have invited me on the podcast of course that's why
0: i am the speaker of authority only omniscient beings here
1: exactly (laughs) no um in all seriousness i've been listening to a lot of like progressive metal over the last couple of years trying to learn more on the production side trying to be a better engineer I'm constantly trying to make myself better at my job. And a lot of that, I think, probably comes down to you have to try and not have an ego about the work that you do. Like, at a certain point, you might be successful. You might be financially successful. But you have to realize that if any of that has to do with having been, like, on the cutting edge or whatever, that means you need to stay on the cutting edge. You need to stay ahead of the game and keep learning. And so like, for me, for example, I've been very fortunate that somehow I've made it this far despite being an impressively bad engineer, but like, I got to work on that. So like, I've been spending time like calling friends who are like world-class mix engineers, mastery engineers, etc., and just being like, Hey, so ignore everything that I've done. And just imagine that I'm a college student who wants to shadow you for a day because me, big dumb, <laughs> can I? and I do things like that literally all the time because like, you should never stop looking for mentorship. You should never stop trying to expand your knowledge base. You know, it's kind of been a big challenge I've found is that when you hit a certain point where you are perceived to be an industry veteran in any way, you're perceived to have some kind of tenure or whatever, you know, it can be hard getting mentorship from people even who are like clearly older than you clearly more experienced because they're like, Oh man, like you're popping off. Clearly things are great for you. You're fine. And I'm like, yeah, I know. I'd like to keep it that way. I don't know everything. I've been very fortunate to get to experience what I know so far. I still haven't been working long enough to know everything. So like, help me out. Like I'm trying to, trying to improve myself as a human being, please.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. It's a really lovely mindset to have. Like you always have a white belt, basically always trying to learn. Yeah.
1: And like, I want to be clear. It shouldn't be like an imposter syndrome thing. Like I'm not being like, Oh, you should have like an artificial humility and act like you don't know what you're talking about. No, you can acknowledge the things that you've learned and the things that you have mastery of and so on. But objectively, there are a ton of things to learn. And no matter how good you are, you're constantly going to come up against new ones that you don't know. And so if you're someone who achieves something, any kind of success, and then you're like, ah, yes, I've done it. Time to sit upon my throne. Like, this might not be the industry for you. There is no throne. And to be fair, long-term stability in audio, in music in particular, is sometimes perceived to be very fleeting in that, Objectively, one day you're up, the next day you could be down. For any number of reasons, people may just not connect with the style that you're good at anymore. The industry could grow in a different direction. It may require skill sets that you're not able to learn. Maybe the most popular source of gigs becomes some random thing that you have no interest or knowledge in, and suddenly you're just very far on the outskirts. At any moment, people who are very successful can suddenly be pushed to the outskirts. So a successful career often involves, one, having just a profound appreciation for the journey, not the destination, because you're going to be on the journey the entire time. And two, it involves a lot of flexibility and openness to trying new things that you've never done before and learning new skills that you have no knowledge of. I've spent the last month researching Tunisian metal. Was this something I ever thought that I was going to have to know about? No. Am I happy that now I know about my RAF? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I think it's pretty great. <clears throat> but like, yeah, you, you gotta keep pushing, keep learning, keep trying to be the best version of yourself. And to be fair, I don't think that this has to be a professional lesson. I think it's a personal one, too. I think that really... We should all be trying to be the best versions of ourselves in order to better support our partners, our families, our friends, raise up our communities, make a better industry. Like, you know, be the best version of yourself, you know?
0: I think that's a beautiful note to start wrapping up on. So one final question for you is where can people find you? Plug anything you want. I'm in your nightmares. (laughs) I'm in the
1: trees. I'm with the
0: birds. They're not real. (laughs) Perfect.
1: <laughs> Great. No notes. Yeah. No notes. Cut Go it. to rap. <laughs> you heard it here, folks. Mason is in the trees. <laughs> you can find me on my website, Mason You can find me on Google by just typing Mason Lieberman. There aren't other Mason Liebermans. It's pretty easy to find me. I'm on social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Again, just start typing my name. You cannot miss it. Like, it's the only one there. God bless my uh, birth name for uh, SEO on point. And yeah, you know, find me at live events. I go to a lot of things in the local area. I try to go to the Game Dev Drink Ups in the LA scene every month. I go to Game Developers Conference every year. I go to Game Sound Con every year. I go to a lot of, like, fan conventions and anime conventions and things like that. Like, every year all the time. So... The real answer is, Mason Lieberman, coming to your local convention center for some reason we haven't figured out yet. Almost certainly weeb shit. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Almost certainly. Well, no, not probably. Definitely. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. I think you had some beautiful insights. Thank you so much for having me, Akash. That's the end of today's episode. Thank you so much for listening, as always. And considering I work in the world of video game music and sound, and so many people are always asking me how they break into that field, I have a newsletter set up for you. So if you want to learn how to make music and sound effects for video games and actually be paid to do it, just go to bit.ly forward slash soundbizpod. Sound B I Z pod. Sound B-I-Z pod. And that newsletter will set you up with two free courses and a bunch of free ebooks and even sound effects that'll get you set up and teach you how to work in the world of video game music and sound. Thanks so much, and I'll see you next time. And if you're looking for more audio related podcasts to listen to, this podcast is actually a part of the Audio Podcast Alliance, featuring a handpicked selection of the very best podcasts about sound. So if you want to check those out, hear the latest episodes from our friends in the community at audiopodcast.org.